Good morning. Hey, this is a time of graduation. Are there any graduates in here? Junior high, high school, college? Hey, would you stand just a moment? Come on, stand up, it's graduation. Let's give these people. Great job, hey, all right. Back there. I graduated a few times. I'd like to lead us in prayer for these graduates, those that are here, and uh, those of our church family that are in other parts of the campus or unable to be with us this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you for these graduates, and together we raise our voices in sincere thanks. For we know you have helped and guided each one. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. It's only fitting that we recognize the gentle ways that you superintend our successes. You administrate not only the best that comes from our own hearts, but what is added by the many who contribute and support us in our successes, our family and teachers, and the many who invest in us and cheer us on. So even as it was said of Jesus that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, we ask that you bless these graduates in the footsteps of Jesus. May all their successes be Christ-like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I see you have your name tags on this morning, and some of you are appropriately dressed for your name tag. I am not. I need to remember to wear something a little blue to go with the border of my name tag, or something neutral. Well, I mention this because uh, I was thinking a lot about clothing this week, and uh, maybe it's that artistic eye because from second grade, I wanted to, I wanted to be an artist when I grew up. Over the years, uh, Shelley and I used to travel a lot to, uh, to the Santa Cruz boardwalk. That was kind of the coast for us. Even when I was pastoring in the Bay Area, we would spend time down in the Santa Cruz area. Have any of you ever been to the Santa Cruz boardwalk? A few of you. Yeah, it's an experience. Often after a day on the beach and swimming and all of that good stuff, we would spend uh, the late afternoon and early evening in, at the boardwalk. And sometimes you get a little tired, so you just sit together and watch people. Do you ever watch people? Do you have a knack for watching people? Well, um, I had decided that I wanted to make a living at it and that I was going to erect a booth, something maybe on the order of what, you know, some of us remember as phone booths. But uh, I would be in a small booth, and it would say fashion tips, 25 cents. And I would just give quick fashion tips that could be life-changing for people. Uh, that was a long time ago. But, you know, I used that 
silly story, true but silly, uh, just to remind us how important clothes are in our lives. You know, clothes talk, and they work, and they identify. For example, when I say clothes talk, a lot of times uh, we express ourselves through clothing. Uh, we call it style. Style's about me. It's about you. Clothes can talk also about where we're from, our native start and beginning. Uh, clothes do a lot of talking. Clothes also work. They express the function of our work and vocation or what we're doing at the time somebody visits us or comes to us. Sometimes we call clothes gear because clothes work. Clothes also identify us. They show allegiance, and this is obvious when we watch sports, team sports, team uniforms. Fans wear the jerseys of their team, all of the paraphernalia that goes with it. Uh, on the way yesterday morning, I, I had the radio on. I was listening to ESPN, and they were talking about fandom. Fandom. And they got to going about fandom, and one of the commentators called wearing two jerseys, one under the other, and I guess this is kind of a, uh, a way of being ready for whatever happens. But to him, that was sacrilege, you know, to be wearing a jersey under another jersey or wearing two jerseys. And he brought up Auburn and Michigan and their great rivalry where people who are uh, at Auburn just speak of Michigan as that team up north, T-U-N. And they, during the height of their rivalry, they even mark out all the M's in any words and replace them with X's. I just thought that was interesting, that you could think in terms of holiness and sacrilege when it comes to sports. I used to have a nightmare that I would show up dressed in the wrong clothing. If any of you watch Survivor, sometimes they take people right off the bus and into the wild, and they've still got their street clothes or their business attire, high heels, jewelry, you know, <laughs> ties, things like that. Totally inappropriate for the occasion. Well, I, I just wanted us to think a moment about clothes because Paul is talking about clothing in this passage. And the clothing metaphor goes back to baptism. And baptism goes back to Jesus. It goes back to his death and resurrection. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, Paul says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. In other words, you clothed yourself in Christ. 
In chapter 3 of Colossians, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 17, is giving, given to the contrast between the grave and the resurrection. And it begins, if you have indeed been raised with Jesus Christ, and the language is put off and put on, put off and put on. In Colossians 2.6, Paul began, As you received him, so live in him. And I remember how it all began for me. And I think my experience is probably just like yours. It began with calling Jesus Lord. You may not have used the word, but that's exactly what it was all about. Lord. Putting on his lordship, how it changes the way we see the world, see ourselves. Putting on his lordship is putting on his way of seeing, his way of hearing, his way of thinking, and his way of acting. When we put on Christ, we get eyes to see the best. We get a heart that forgives the worst. We get a mind that forgets the bad. And we get a soul that never loses faith. These are the things that Paul is talking about here in chapter 4 of Ephesians. I'd like us to read chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. What I'm going to say refers to the whole chapter, but I'd just like to read these verses. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In contemporary language, you must no longer walk as the Americans do. In the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Assuming that you've heard about, excuse me, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
If you want to succeed in Christ, there's one thing you have to do, and that's dress for success. Clothe yourself with Christ. We saw in these uh, three verses, verses 22, 23, and 24, put off, verse 22. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 23. And put on the new self, verse 24. These are the steps to success. These are practical how-tos. And so, the first step is to put off your old self. As I mentioned, that's in verse 22, and it gathers up and is the kind of therefore of verses 17 through 19. Why is this the first step? Why is this the first step to success? This is the first step because we can. It is a immense privilege, a grand opportunity, a new way of life. It's a do-over. It's a start again. It's the opportunity of a lifetime because the rest of the world, apart from Christ, cannot put off the old self. The world, apart from Christ, is stuck, as Paul described in verses 17, 18, and 19. It's really important to understand that apart from Christ, the closet is bare. There's no change of clothes. And if you like to put on different clothing, and you like to express yourself in new and challenging and honorable and virtuous ways, then it's good to have a change of clothing. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' resurrection, because of Jesus' resurrection, because of Jesus' resurrection, there is new life. That's why the resurrection is important. It's the center of history. There is no fork in the road without the resurrection. And it isn't just about new life at the end of this life. It's about new life now, in this life. Today, June 11th, 2017, and as we've shuffled in here with all of the burdens and cares and difficulties of our life, dragging us and slowing us, I want you to know that because Jesus lives, because he is risen from the dead, you have an opportunity to live a new life in whatever circumstances you find yourself. Because of Jesus, 
there is the last Adam. Without the resurrection, there would just be Adam. And Paul goes to great lengths in his letters in Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12 in particular. I encourage you to read it. He contrasts Adam, the first with the last, Jesus. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about the resurrection body. And in verses 42, he contrasts how we are sown in weakness, ignoble or dishonor. And then he contrasts it with how we are raised, power, honor, glory. And he roots those incredible differences in the contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam. Well, you see, the the first Adam is our federal head. We are all in Adam unless we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we are in the last Adam. And we have this new life, this new existence. And it isn't just a fairy tale. It is poured out. The Holy Spirit is described as the erbone. That's Greek for... Well, in modern Greek, it's a wedding ring. It's the pledge. It's the earnest. It's the assurance of the down payment. But it's a first installment, a first installment, that you have the Holy Spirit within you now if you are in Christ. This is the fundamental composition of the church and why baptism is the standard identification, not only with Christ, but with one another. For we are united in one. We are the new temple in Christ. This is why baptism, it's not a hazing. This isn't just a fraternity. This baptism acts out. It enacts the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection and the new life that is ours through the Holy Spirit that was poured out when? When was the Holy Spirit poured out? When Jesus was raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the Father. The promise of the Father was given to Jesus, Acts 2. And he poured it out on his church. And the church came to life. That's our heritage. It's the same phenomenon that's real in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when Paul says, we no longer know Jesus according to the flesh. And he goes on to talk about we are a new creation. The old is past. All things have become new in Christ. In fact, all of the profound metaphors of Paul in his writings, the 13 of the 27 New Testament writings, We've all heard the word justification. This is a courtroom situation. This is where you're on trial. You've been accused. You have no defense. But in Christ, in Christ we're acquitted, we're vindicated. 
We've heard of the word reconciliation. That is set in the history of the Greco-Roman world. Not only just between individuals, but between nations. And it speaks of enemies in battle and hostility. But in Christ, we find new relationship and we experience peace because of the harmony and the reconciliation that is ours not only between us and God, but one another. When he speaks of forgiveness, we think we know what that's all about. But the very word that we often translate forgiveness is the fact that we owe a debt that we can't pay. We're indebted. And when that debt is graciously canceled, when someone else steps in and pays that debt, it's called forgiveness. Redemption. When you're captured in battle, you're enslaved. In the Roman Empire, when people were captured, it didn't matter what their status or background. They could be, they were sold into slavery. Everything is lost, everything. Your name, your identity, your background, your family. You are a slave. You are totally in the power of someone else. But this very metaphor is used by Paul to help us understand that we have been ransomed and liberated and given a new life. And the word adoption, another metaphor in Paul. Bereft, abandoned. No name, no identity, no future. Fending for yourself. No family, no network, no community. Often, children were exposed. That is, they were just taken out into the countryside and left to die. Sometimes those very babies would be picked up and adopted by others who had wanted a child. This is the picture of our new life in Christ. Put off your old self. That's what Paul is saying because you have a choice. You have something incredible to clothe yourself in and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. But before that, Paul does paint a picture of our human condition, and it is really bleak. It bears us a real benefit if we reflect upon it. When we read it, we say, oh, that's not me. I couldn't do that. I'm not like that. Sometimes we feel pretty good about ourselves and our morality. The Bible talks about our human condition as one that is depraved. That word depraved means that we can't recondition our situation. We can gloss it, we can adorn it, we can cover it up, but we can't change it except through Jesus Christ, except through the person of Jesus Christ and the miraculous work of his Holy Spirit in our lives and this truth that we apprehend by faith. We claim it. We put it to work. 
It's like having money that we don't use and claiming we're impoverished if we don't go and put it to work for us. We all have the potential to do some of the most heinous things under the right circumstances, such as being interned, as Brian spoke about this morning. Stripped of our clothing, stripped of our homes, stripped of our friends, stripped of our identity. We get down to our real nature. Sometimes we elevate ourselves above others because we see in them things that we find repulsive or that are injurious, not only to us, but those, to those we care about. It is through God's grace that we come to that place in our lives that we realize, I see myself in that person. Jesus tried to call our attention to that reality when he said that you commit adultery when in your heart you desire and lust for things that you don't have. He was trying to show us that our nature is one in which we oppose God. Our bent is to rebel against God because our number one priority, our number one idol is the self. It's me. I hope you can relate to what I'm talking about. Because then it makes it easier to realize how wise and profound is this simple metaphor, this first step. Put it off. Because you have a choice in Jesus Christ. You have an alternative. You have a fork in the road. You have an option in Christ. C.S. Lewis said, no, and you know, he wrote in the 40s, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would be like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. This is our Savior, and it is in him that we have the strength and we have the alternative to live an alternative life. So the first step is to put off the old self. And second step is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. 
why is this the second step? Well, Paul's contrast between the futility of our minds in verse 17 is here contrasted with the mind renewed by the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's expressed in verse 22. It's so common that we try to live the Christian life in our own what Paul calls fleshly or natural strength, our innate or native strength. What we need to do is live it in the knowledge of Christ, living by faith based on what we know. Just as Brian so powerfully illustrated from the life of Eric Little when he said, I went forward believing that God would be there for me. Jesus would be, for me, be there for me in that frightening occasion of having to speak for him. And so it is we live our lives. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, Be transformed by the renewing, same word, the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, if you read the whole chapter, when he gets to verse 16 and Paul exclaims, we have the mind of Christ. Well, that mind of Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. That's the presence of Christ in your life. In Romans chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, set your mind. First he says, walk, and then he says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, in contrast to the things of the world, the flesh, our human natural abilities. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, he says, walk after the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, be filled don't be drunk, don't be inebriated, but be filled with the Spirit. When you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you are training and you are modeling your thinking on the things of God. When you walk after the Spirit, you're choosing not to walk after yourself. When you are filled, rather than inebriated in any way, even with your own prowess, but when you're filled with the Spirit, you are allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct your thinking in the way you navigate and negotiate in any situation. These are just all the practical ways. They're not all separate. They're all speaking of this one same reality. Get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Jesus. Quit trying to solve it in your own strength with your old tired words the way you used to do it. And do it in the novel, faith-filled trust that you have in Jesus Christ and love as he calls you to love. Speak words of goodness and grace as he calls you to do it instead of the bitter and reactionary kinds of things that we say. This is simple stuff in the end. And it all comes down to who's going to be Lord? You, Lord, or me? And that's what Paul's talking about. This is all the language of putting on Christ. 
in Colossians 3, 1 through 17, I mentioned, he says in verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of, the, of its creator. And by the way, Colossae was very close to Ephesus, and Paul wrote these letters, we believe, very close to one another. So there's real correspondence. But notice what he says in verse 12 when he says, put on the new self. We're to imagine what that looks like. What is it like when you put on Christ, when you let him be Lord? Verse 12, a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How did Paul begin this fourth chapter of Ephesians? The very opening verses, he says, Live out the call to which you've been called in Jesus Christ. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. And he uses the same language there, right at the beginning of this very chapter, chapter 4, that he's using in Colossians. You see, this is about letting God be God in your life, putting on Jesus. But the reality of it is that the Holy Spirit is within you. As Paul often says, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God, let the new life emerge as you turn over control of your life and begin to do it in the power of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful picture in so many ways. Like in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, Paul talks about putting off the deeds of darkness. This would be good news for, you know, some of you gamers who like to play a lot of these games. This is because he says, put off the, put off the deeds of darkness. And then he says, put on the armor of light. You have to have a nobility of mind that, that thinks accurately. It may seem like a fairy tale because you aren't living this new life in Jesus Christ. But these are the realities of walking in faith with Jesus Christ. Put on your new self. The final step is to put on Christ. I'm going to finish this next week because I've got a few more minutes that I really I hate doing this because it's kind of hard to pick up where you leave off. But this is important. So I want to pick up putting on the new self a little bit more. I want to talk about it in terms of its application and how we actually do that. But you may have noticed in verses 17, 18, and 19 that Paul talks a lot about their thinking their mind. He even contrasts the futility of their mind. And then in verse 22, when he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Well, the battleground is up here, folks. It really is. And that's what I'd like us to really spend a little bit more on next week, because it's very practical to changing the way we see things and that we live our lives. Um, what are you going to do to dress for success today? Put on Christ. That's it. Put on Christ. How many of you change your clothes a couple times a day? 
you know, if I get to do what I hope to do after church, I'd like to, I'd like to do some activity, you know, uh, exercise. If I don't, I just go home and fall asleep. So I like to get out and do something. And you'd think it pretty funny if I was still wearing these clothes. No, I change into my gear. Jesus Christ is the one piece of clothing that's perfect for everything you do. Everything. Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, prompt us to clothe ourselves in your strength. Even when it comes to battling evil, as you tell us in chapter 6, we are to put on your strength. We're to dwell and live and fight the things that threaten to drag us down and defeat us. We're to prevail in your strength. We're to love in your love. We're to forgive in your forgiveness. We're, gonna, we're to see each other with your eyes, feel each other, understand each other, sympathize with each other, with your heart, your compassion. Only if we put you on, Lord, if we live as we first received you when we called you Lord, we love you. We are in awe of all your goodness, all your grace, your forgiveness, your compassion, that we're your children with a destiny, an inheritance. But we are your disciples too. And we love you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. And all of God's people said, if you want to pray with me, staff or elders and their spouses will be here.